Hey everyone, this is Chad. Thanks for stopping by to listen to our newest sermon. It will play in just a minute. But before it does, I want to invite you to be a part of something really cool. At Creekside, we partner with a great organization called Embrace Oregon to help support and bless foster kids and families in our area. During the Christmas season, we place special emphasis on creating welcome boxes for kids. You can learn about those at creeksidebiblechurch.org slash welcome boxes. But let me just say they're an incredible way to bring joy to a foster kid. We know that not all of you or even most of you who listen to this podcast are in our area. So we want to invite you to contribute to this project by donating. You can go to creeksidebiblechurch.org slash give. And if you select Embrace Oregon under the heading four, then all of that money will go directly to creating welcome boxes. We would absolutely love to have you partner with us in this. Again, thanks for listening. I hope this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. So let me tell you something that drives me nuts, and if you're not a Christian, you'll have to forgive me, and you can explain to me why this isn't the case uh, a little bit later. But what one of the, one of the, one of the things is when people just outright reject Christianity without ever exploring Christianity, without having any good reason to reject Christianity. Now, I understand there's a lot of people that have rejected Christianity after a lot of study, and I, I get that, but it doesn't make sense to me that people just reject it. Uh, I wrote willy-nilly on my sermon outline, that people reject it all willy-nilly, like whatever, it's not a big deal. And, and I guess it bothers me because it, it seems illogical and I'm, I'm kind of old-fashioned and that I like logic. I think that logic is important and it, it's just weird to me that, that people would know the claim of Christians, that Jesus came out of heaven to earth, that God came out of heaven to earth in the person of Jesus and he lived a sinless life, and he died for our sins, and then he rose again after three days, and, and, and then people like hear that story, like, nah, you know, because I don't like a Christian, or some Christian was mean to me once, or I had a Christian neighbor, and I didn't really like them, and so that story, I, I'll just reject it, or, you know, I, I saw this thing on the History Channel once, and so, it, it, you know, it, it can't be right. I mean, that can't be right because the History Channel, whatever. It's, it's just strange to me. Not that people reject Christianity because that, that will happen, right? But just that people reject it without ever really considering it. And, and I think that our story today or our passage of scripture today is, is so powerful because it, it makes a claim that nobody should just reject without exploring it further. It's a really radical claim made by a guy who hung out with Jesus. And he makes this claim that we'll look at in just a second that, that I believe it just, it's just a claim that, that just can't be ignored. I just think it's a claim so big and so profound and, and so life-changing and so worldview-changing that, that we must Stop to think about it at least. And, and if we're Christians, this claim I think is so big that, that it should change our entire lives. But I, I don't think it's one that we, that we really take seriously. And maybe that's why people reject Christianity without thinking about it. Because oftentimes Christians don't even think about it. And we just live our lives kind of the same as we used to live our lives. Even though we've given our lives to Jesus. Let me just kind of back up and say that this claim is really based on Christmas and what transpired on the first Christmas when Jesus was born. And, and what's so fascinating about what we'll read in just a minute in this claim is that we think of Christmas and we think of this really good and joyful story. And it is that. I mean, it's 
it's a joyful story, Jesus coming to earth, and there's shepherds, and they're celebrating, and there's wise men, and they're celebrating, and there's angels, and they're celebrating, and it really is a good and joyful story, but, but I would also say that in some ways, the Christmas story is also an incredibly sad story, or at least it's a sad beginning to a story that will ultimately have an incredible end, and we're going to see that in, in what John writes in John 1, 9 through 13. And John's told us, if you weren't here last week, let me just catch you up. John has told us that the word, the logos, came into the world. And we saw last week that this means God came into the world. That's the beginning of John's gospel, the beginning of John's great letter about Jesus. He says, hey, here's the deal. I just want you to know up front that everything you're going to read in my book about this guy named Jesus is actually about this person who is God in human form, who is God in a bod, who is God. And so when you read about his miracles and when you read about his teachings and when you read about his life and when you read about his death and when you read about him getting out of the grave, I want you to know up front, I want you to know ahead of time, you're reading about God. And God became man. And so John then says, just after that, he says, hey, there was this guy named John, not the same John. I know that can be a little confusing, but there's this guy named John. We know him as John the Baptist. John the Baptist, he wasn't the light. And it's like John answers this question that some of the people might have had because they had an encounter with John the Baptist and then he saw, they saw how different he was and how powerfully he spoke. And, and so John, the writer, takes a step just out of kind of what he's saying and says, okay, God came to earth. You might be wondering, was it John the Baptist? It wasn't John the Baptist. In fact, John the Baptist came to earth or, or did his ministry, I should say, in order to tell people that God came to earth. That was actually the goal of his ministry, was to point people to the light, to use the Johannine metaphor. It was to point people towards Jesus. So John says that, and then in John 1, 9, he says this thing that, that is so utterly important. I just, I don't think I could stress it enough. It's, it's life-changing. It's uh, paradigm-shifting. It's worldview-changing. And I think that whether you're a Christian or not a Christian, you at least should, should think about this claim that John makes in, in 1.9 and then continues throughout these, these few verses. In John 1.9, this is what John says, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. In Isaiah 9, 2, long before Jesus lived, it, it gave this prophecy about light. It says, the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of deep darkness, a light has dawned. Now, going back to last week again, let me just restate that John is using this metaphor of light for revelation, the revelation of God, the wisdom of God, the truth of God. It's really the embodiment of all things that are real and right and good and, and wise. And so he's made this claim that in Jesus, this light has come to the earth, and now he adds this word. And the word is true. It's a common word, and an important word in the book of John, he says it all the time. He says that Jesus is like the true shepherd. You maybe have heard that before. And, and, and it's a word that doesn't just mean, this is so important, it doesn't just mean that it's the opposite of false or the opposite of wrong. It's way deeper than that. It's juxtaposed with the idea of fraudulent or imperfect. And so what John is saying here and what John says throughout with different metaphors, his book, is Jesus is not the imperfect light. He's not the fraudulent light. He is the true light. He's the real light. He's the light that cannot be compared to by any other forms of light. Bible.org says, all others being inferior and subordinate realizations only what the shadow is to the substance. I love that. All other things that we think provide revelation and truth and, uh, and a view of reality and what our worldview should be, all of those things are just like the shadow of the actual substance. 
William Barclay says of other lights that they were, or we could say are, flickers of the truth. Some were flank, faint glimpses of reality. Some were, uh, some were sips that men followed, which men laid out into the dark, and then which led men out into the dark, and then led them, and then left them there. Sorry for the reading. Uh, William Barclay, because I just messed that all up, is saying, "Look, there's been these glimpses of light, these glimpses of light that have led men somewhere, but oftentimes they just leave them in deeper darkness." This reminds me of a story, uh, and I think I've talked about this night that I spent uh, exploring the, the scary sides of Corbin University where I went to school, and uh, that night we, we took a tour of the tunnels that run underneath Corbin, and if you've ever seen an insane asylum in a movie, boom, you got a picture of what it looked like. We went underneath the foundation uh, of the building and there's stuff down there which is creepy, like who needs a shovel underneath the foundation of our school, you know? And then, and then there's, uh, there's this room, and this probably happens at every college, but I only went to the one, and uh, there's this old um, archives room and, and it's this uh, section in the library where books are kept that are old and, and they keep the blinds closed because they don't want any any light getting in to hurt these old books. And so I'm with the security guard, by the way. I'm not breaking into all these places. Uh, I'm with campus security. Uh, he might have been able to be fired for this, but whatever. And so he takes us up there and he has the one flashlight and he Leads us upstairs, and we open this room. And, and by the way, this room is supposedly haunted, which I'm sure happens at every... When you have one room in a library that can't have the blinds open. So it's apparently haunted. And we get in there, and his flashlight goes off out of nowhere. So then we go down the stairs, and we leave. I got super scared by a friend, and, and we go out into the parking lot. And, and there's these doors that were in our parking lot that we had never noticed before. And since, by the way, somehow Corbin made these doors disappear. I'm not sure how it happened. They were these big double doors. They were made of wood. They were tied up with a zip tie or something. We hadn't really paid attention to them, but we decided to open them. And we opened them up, and it was the, the largest, darkest Dungeon? I'm going to go with the word dungeon. That's how dungeony it was. Dungeon. Think like Aladdin when he's walking into that one place that he walks into and finds the bottle or the, the lamp. Uh, I mean, like darkness. There, it's, it's horrible looking. It's as wide as like me to half court back there in our gym here. And, and it is terrifying looking. And somebody's like, let's go in. And I'm thinking, this guy whose flashlight's gone off has the one flashlight. There's no way I'm going in there. And, and I think this is what John begins to get at just right at the beginning here of this section. He's like, look, there's lights. But these other lights, like this guy, Matthew, who was my security guard taking me on this ghost tour, they can't be trusted. They might even be true at certain points. But they can't be trusted as you try to navigate the darkness that's so prevalent on our earth. Now, I'm going to return to that in just a second. But it's so interesting because it says that this light that is Jesus, this truth, this wisdom, uh, this, this revelation that's come in the person of Jesus, it, it says that he is the light for all people. And I just find that so fascinating because if you're a Christian, then, then you know that Jesus lights your way. We even sing about things like that. But what about everybody else? And, and here's the deal. I think that Christians have a unique gift and that Jesus lights their pathway, if you will. But when Jesus came, he provided a new level of truth to every person. Even if you're not a Christian, if you hate Jesus, then in some ways you still bask in the light that he provided when he was born and lived his life here on earth. Let me just give you a couple of these things. And I say these things a lot because I just think it's so neglected and people forget that these, these things are, are, are Christian truths. Like this, if you think that people of all genders are of equal value, it's because Jesus came to earth. That's why you think that. 
If you've ever even looked at a Christian and said, well, they're sexist because they believe in different roles, well, well you, you think it's wrong for us to be sexist because of our Savior, because Jesus came to earth, he died for all people, and, and then his followers taught people that women have value and have a place and that they should be treated with equality and that we are one in Jesus and that we're now brothers and sisters and all these things. That's a huge deal, right? And, and that's light. We all think that, right? I hope you think that, that women and men have equal value. But before Jesus set foot in Rome, women were nothing. Maybe slightly above a slave, they could be told what to do. They just, it didn't matter as much as a man. And in fact, in places that reject Jesus more around our world right now, some places where our missionaries are, do you know what they think about women? They don't think women are as good or as valuable or as important as men. Let me give you another one. The idea that people of all races are of equal value. This was not a view. This was not the view of the world before Jesus came to earth and shined his light on all people. If you believe in your heart of hearts that racism is bad, which I do, if you believe that, then in some way it's connected back to Jesus, the Logos, the Word, God being born as a baby a couple thousand years ago. Or this, if you think people of all economic classes are just as important and just as valuable, whether you have a lot of money or a little money, you're still kind of equal in worth. If you believe that, it's because Jesus was born a couple thousand years ago and he shed his light on all people. I've said this before, but hospitals exist because Jesus came. And people who followed him said, even those who are hurting and suffering and dying deserve some dignity. So let's create hospitals because we want to be like Jesus. It's like the forgotten deal because history, you know, history just moves and people don't think about why we end up where we do. But the progress that we see in the world can all be traced back to the birth of a baby named Jesus, God coming in human form in the person of Jesus. His light shed on all people. But there are flickers of light in other places. And what just bothers me is that some people embrace these other light forms so quickly and so easily while rejecting Jesus, whom a guy named John has claimed, this is the true light. There might be other light sources out there. You might be able to find truth in other places, but this, this is the true light source. This is where real wisdom is found. This is where real truth is found. This is where real hope is found even. And this man's life and teaching and the way that he showed us we ought to live and interact with others, it's found in him. And people just say, ah, nah. But they're so willing to explore and dive into these other things and uh, I found these illustrations of light, and I mean like literal illustrations, and, and I'm going to pop them up off the screen and kind of connect them to our light sources, and, and hopefully this will work, but, but it kind of made sense to me when I saw them, because they're all pictures of kind of fake light, and so uh, let's pop up the first one, and, and so, so here we see this picture of this light coming down, and it's obviously kind of a real light and kind of not, but it just made me think of it as I, I just kind of happened upon these images all by the same artist, but it made me think of like self-help books or self-esteem books or a lot of what some pastors talk about in churches today, just turn the TV on to the Christian stations, and, and it's like, it's like, hey, just feel good, and here's how you can feel good, and, and here's how you can build your self-esteem, and here's how you can think more highly of yourselves. And there's truth in those things, and, and I believe that God's truth exists in most places, at least to some degree, but people are so quick to just find a self-help book and say, oh, this will fix me while rejecting the true light. It, I, I think, because you see the person swinging there, I think it's because it just makes them feel good. And the reality is Jesus doesn't always make us just feel good. He does oftentimes. He makes us better, but a lot of times he doesn't just make us feel better. And so we reject, you reject, we reject the true light for this kind of self-help light. Another one is like uh, this, this kind of idea where people are trying to kind of predict the light and kind of build the light as they go. And uh, I thought of like, 
fortune tellers or gurus or even celebrities like Bono has become a source of light for so many people now. Like Bono's trying to figure it out and, and so he says something and people are like, yes, that's light. You know, I'm going to embrace that. And if it sounds good, then people will just take it and say, well, that, that sounded really good. And, and so I think there's like this, this light source that's like kind of revealed to us and, and, and some of it's right, but it's kind of being built. And, and so we just embrace this light that is kind of over time starting to glow more and more while some person is, is painting it and developing and, and even they can flip what they say is true and not true and we kind of buy in even though they've switched a couple times. And do you know what I mean? Like It's just like this developing source of light that sometimes is right and good and smart, but sometimes it's not, and we just kind of embrace it anyway. In fact, people embrace it more quickly than they'll embrace Christianity. Or I got this, like, just something that just looks like a light. It's just like a facade light. And I think of things like the Dalai Lama or Chinese Proverbs. Or, in fact, there's a quote by Buddha that hangs on the back wall of this gym back there. And it's a perfectly fine quote. I have no problem with it. I don't remember it off the top of my head. But it's a perfectly fine quote. Buddha was right when he said that. Uh, but it's like, it's not the full light. It's not the whole light. And sometimes it's just a bad version of light or a fake version of light. But, but there's some truth in the things that these people say. There's truth in Chinese proverbs sometimes, but it's not the light. It's just, it's just kind of a fake light. It looks good. It sounds good, all those things. And then there's even this, which, you know, you could connect to, to Buddha and, and some other religions, but like uh, there's, there's like this fake light that becomes dangerous sometimes, right? Like other religions, Buddha, Dalai Lama, I mentioned them, but, but cults, it's like they give you a version of the light. They shed some light on your life. This is how they bring you in, and then there's a boogeyman behind it just really trying to take your money or, or has some kind of power trip, or in some cases, they're psychotic. Um, there's a guy in Australia right now who believes he's Jesus, and, and he's just led tons of people astray. He, he, uh, he was married to what he claimed, and if you know the Bible story, Mary Magdalene's a big deal. He was married to Mary Magdalene, but they got divorced, and, and the new lady, I'm not making this up, became the new Mary Magdalene, and so he was wrong the first time, and this is dangerous, right, where it's like, look, this is the truth, and this is real, and I can show you the way that your life ought to go and show you how to feel better about yourself, and, and really behind it is something evil and dark. Even, like, Christians, I think, can get wrapped up in this, but, I mean, just a couple of things that, like, people say that it's just not true, but it sounds like light if you say it well enough. Like, our morals are driven by how you feel. Uh, people say that. People talk about that. It's like a, a such a um, postmodern thing to say. If you're a millennial, then you're just surrounded by people who think like that. But everybody knows it's not true. It just kind of looks like light. Oh, yeah, yeah. Of course my morals are driven by how I feel. They're not. Your morale, I mean, not until somebody kills your kid and then, you know, it doesn't, if they didn't feel it was bad, you still think it's wrong, right? I mean, you think it's wrong or, or like this, Jesus was a smart, good, and loving guy, but nothing more than that. Jesus claimed to be God. We saw that last week. He was either Lord, lunatic, or liar, as C.S. Lewis said it many years ago. The dude was either crazy, he was the biggest fraud the world has ever known, or he is something far more than a cool guy who taught good things. That's just something people say that kind of sounds nicer. All roads lead to heaven. That, that can't be true because one, one religion says like, well, this is what leads to heaven. Another one says something different. And, and both of them are saying that the other thing's wrong. And so all of them can't go to the same place because they're not even claiming that they can go to the same place. They're saying if you believe that, it's hell. And if you believe this, it's heaven. And this is just something that sounds nice, makes us feel good. But it's just a fake light that leads to nowhere good. I, I, I looked up quotes of people that are not Christians kind of say about Christianity, and uh, I didn't know who all these people were, and I didn't want to look them up because the quotes were the real value, but apparently these people are, are famous, um, uh, and just like this, the Bible taken as a whole can be used to praise or condemn practically any human activity, thought, belief, or practice, Peter McWilliams. That's not true. That's, that's a lie. 
Like, it, literally, that's just not true. Like, it, it's just something, but it's sad. Like, if you're not a Christian, you could just buy, just buy into that and say, well, Peter McWilliams, if you know who that is, I don't, but apparently he's famous somewhere. Like, if Peter McWilliams says it, it must be true. I've never read a Bible. I've never picked up a Bible. But, man, you could do anything evil based on what it says. It's just false. Or, or like this, religion is the opiate of the people, Karl Marx. I mean, he's famous. I know who he is. And it's like, it's like he's just saying it makes you feel good and there's nothing else to it, right? Man, my religion doesn't always make me feel good. Sometimes it makes me feel guilty. Uh, most of the time it makes me feel better, but sometimes it makes me feel guilty. And, and so he just made that up. People bought it. Or this guy said, or maybe girl, girl, um, if there's a supreme being, he is crazy. Marlene Dietrich. Why? Because you're famous and you said it and people bought it. I mean, this is just like, what are you talking about? And if there is a supreme being, then he has the right to define that which is crazy and which isn't crazy. You don't get to tell the supreme being if he's crazy. The supreme being gets to tell you what you ought to do. This is just words. It's not real light. But people are so quick to buy into these things. To, to say, well, Oprah said it, so it must be true. You know, I mean, it's just so easy. And here's what I, I just want you to hear. Just because it sounds right or even bright doesn't mean it's true light. Just because it sounds right or even bright doesn't mean it is true light. Some things sound very intelligent. They're still wrong. Sometimes people say things that sound so good that are utterly wrong. And the claim by Jesus, the claim is, this is the claim, and by his friends, Jesus is the only source of true light. He is the only source of pure wisdom. He is the only source of revelation, and specifically the revelation of how God is and what God is like and what God expects from us and how we ought to live our lives and how we get into heaven and all those things. the only true source. And the very least I think we could do is examine him, is to take a look and say, wow, that's a bold claim. Now, it's an easy claim to make by Jesus, right? Anybody can show up and say, I am the true light. But that's a crazy claim for somebody else to make about a person. And we'll look at a bigger claim in just a second. He continues in John 1, 10 and 11. He was in the world... And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Now, you might have seen a little trend there. World, world, world. Uh, in the book of John, world is a big, big topic. Uh, John is an interesting author, by the way. If you ever read the book of John, I actually grew up in a church where, where they would say, if you've just want to get interested in the Bible, then the first book you should read is the book of John. And, and that's a weird claim to me because John is this, this deep, artistic, poetic uh, thinker. And he just uses words in a million ways, and he's like all artsy. And if you're like me at all, then John's like the last book you'd want to read first in the Bible because you'll, you'll sometimes leave going, what is he talking about? Why doesn't he just tell me what he means? And, and, and with world, I mean, it's like a deep term that takes on a bunch of different meanings. And, and even in these verses right here, it takes on a couple of different meanings. Like first he uses it for the cosmos, like everything created. But then he also uses it for people, and then he also uses it for fallen people, like people who aren't loving God and aren't living for God and those who have sinned and turned away from God and rejected God. And we see glimpses of that all right there. But the idea is that Jesus came into that which he created, but the people in the world in which he created did not know him because they were hardened and darkened, darkened towards him. It's so interesting because the language suggests that it's almost like Jesus came to his family. He, he came to his own. He came to his people, and his people, they didn't know him. And many would reject him. Now, I want you to know that, like, this isn't, for John, a theoretical idea. 
right? Like we can just picture it as kind of theory and, and things like that. But for John, like he spent years hanging out with Jesus, walking around with Jesus, listening to Jesus, talking with Jesus, having intimate conversations with Jesus, watching Jesus do miracles, watching Jesus heal people and fix people and provide for people and touch people and change the world. He literally watched Jesus change the world. And he also watched people reject that same Jesus who had changed the world. And the truth is, for Christians like me, it's not theoretical. I believe that Jesus created me, but I also believe that Jesus has come into my life and he has radically changed my life. And I think that's one of the reasons that it just bothers me when people reject Christianity, when they reject this claim of being the true light, just out of hand, just without thought. Because it's like, look, I'm telling you, I am telling you that when Jesus came to me and he touched my heart, my life was changed forever. And I've experienced things with Jesus that are real and profound and true. And you're saying, nah, that bothers me. John is looking at the Christmas story and what he's saying is, It was sad. It was sad. It was sad because that baby that was born was God. And he had created everything around him. And he came here to be the true light, to give people wisdom and truth and and all of those things that I've said. And ultimately, as we saw last week, to die for people's sins, to die for people's darkness. And then he rose again. This is the creator of the world. And they just rejected him. In fact, what John knows that I can't see because I wasn't there is is that they would reject him so passionately that they would nail him to a cross. So for John, he knows the Christmas story is joyful, and we'll see that in just a second. He knows that it's a good story, but he also realizes that the beginning of the overall story is kind of sad because it was God coming to earth to provide light and people rejected him. Many people didn't even reject him based on anything good. They reject him because they didn't like him, because he was a threat to their power and authority. They rejected him because they didn't like some of the language he used. They rejected him because he hung out with other people that they found objectionable. I mean, they rejected him for all of these terrible reasons. And that's what's happening still, right? Like so many people reject Jesus for so many stupid reasons. I just tell you, like, rejecting Jesus because you knew, and this is the most common one, because you knew a Christian who didn't live for Jesus is a bad reason to reject Jesus. It's the number one reason that that people seem to give when they've never really thought about becoming Christians. It's just like, well, I, I would think about that, but his followers are jerks. That's dumb. I mean, like, Jesus made the claim to be the true light of the world, and you're rejecting him because of somebody else? Like, that's, that's, not, that's not a good reason. And it's happened for so long. And I just want to say, just again, because people, this is what happens. Like, you hear these things that sound right, and they sound good, and then you reject. People reject the creator of the world just because something else sounds good. Like, well, Christians don't believe in science, or all Christians are hypocrites, or, or Christians, you know, they don't really care about people, or Christians hate people that aren't like them, or Christians are just a bunch of people that are in it for the money, and, and they try to shove religion down people's throats. It's like, remember, just because it sounds right or even bright doesn't mean it's true light and so don't reject Jesus because somebody said something that you thought sounded kind of cool at some point and it became your excuse for rejecting the creator of the universe John continues yet to all who did receive him To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, children born not of natural descent nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. This is the cool part of the story. 
The cool part of the story is that the New Testament declares that while God is the father of all people, not all people are children of God. That makes sense? Can I say that again? God is the father of all people, but all people are not the children of God. Because some people have rejected his fathership. They've rejected him as their father, and they've turned and gone different ways and said, I, I, I don't want you in my life anymore. I reject you. I, I turn away from you. I want to be emancipated. I want to be free from you, the father of all. So God is the father of all people, but not all people are children of God. In fact, none of us were children of God until Jesus came to earth. And that's what John is saying to us here. He came to earth in order that we might once again be his children, that we might, as Paul says it, be adopted by God, become co-heirs with Christ, and look forward to heavenly blessings in the presence of our heavenly dad. John is like, look, here's the deal. A lot of people rejected him. And so in some ways the story of Christmas is sad, but not all people rejected him. And the good news of Christmas is that Jesus came, God came to earth. He was born a baby, and he did it in order that we might become God's children. If we could just think of it this way, God became a child so that we could become God's child. John knows that while many rejected him, and it's sad, some didn't. And they now can be eternally the children of God. This is why Jesus came. This is why Jesus died. This is why Jesus rose again. We all, because of our sin, had rejected God as our dads, our heavenly dads. And so God, like a good dad will do, came out of heaven, came to where we were, and gave us a new way to be in relationship with him again. This is an incredible part of Christmas. I just, I just think like some of you, you haven't had good relationships with your dads, and I just think this is so important. And maybe when you picture a dad, it's all terrible and all bad. Uh, but Christmas shows us a, a different version of a dad, a heavenly dad that is perfect, that is good, that is kind, that loved us so much that he stepped out of his glorious place in heaven to come to earth to be where we are. Don't you know that some dads are just the opposite of that? They step out of your life in order to make more money or to be more successful or to have more fun, but God stepped out of perfection and into our lives so that we might be in a better relationship with him so that we might be in relationship with him at all. That makes Christmas pretty incredible. And then John just kind of wraps it up by saying it this way. The word, again, this is God we're talking about. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. The word is God, and God became flesh. One of the most profound statements ever written. Ever written. Not just in the Bible, but one of the most profound statements ever written. And John says it in the most blunt way that he can. There were people at the time who said, well, God just appeared like a man. God just kind of looked like a man. God, God kind of faked being a man. So John, just to kind of counteract that, says God became flesh. Just became meat. He was a human, and he did that for us. And, and here's just so important. He, he says that they have seen his glory, and, and he made his dwelling amongst us. And it's just this Old Testament terminology that's so cool because in the Old Testament, when the Jewish people were wandering around in the desert, they built these tents. And in the tent, the primary tent, was God's presence manifest strongly. So strong that when a guy named Moses would go in there, he would come out of there glowing. And when John says we have seen his glory and that he has made his dwelling among us, he is reminding the people of that Old Testament imagery that God would dwell, that he'd have his tent amongst people. And in the person of Jesus, God said, I'm no longer living in a tent, but I'm going to come in a body to be with you. It's this idea of Shekinah glory. It's a term that Jewish people use for the manifest glory of God. Like there's the glorious part of God that's just 
holy and good and, and righteous and, and gives us love and grace and all those things, that's glorious. But there's this other side of God's glory that is visible and awesome and throughout the Bible and throughout history has made people fall down on their faces. And he says, look, when Jesus showed up, it was that. It was that type of glory that showed up. Philippians tells us that Jesus veiled that glory, but it was still that glory that showed up on the scene. Now, he shows it in so many ways, like his miracles, and he shows it in his powerful teaching, but he also shows it in his lowliness, like being born in a manger and, and dying for our sins. In fact, John 12, 23, it says, Jesus replied, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. And do you know what he's actually referring to? He's talking about his death. And I just want to say this and just maybe ask a question. John says, we have seen. Now, this is a guy talking that hung out with Jesus for three years. Jesus has now died. Jesus has risen again. Jesus has gone back into heaven. And he said, he's saying, we've seen his glory. I just want to ask you this question. With all that in mind, the Shekinah glory of God, have you ever met a person you'd go, I have seen the glory of God. It was embodied in them. No, you would never say that. You'd say, I've known some nice people. I've known some holy people. I've known some people who really loved God. I've known some people that were really kind and really loving and really gentle. But you don't go, you know that Old Testament thing where God would show up so powerfully that people would glow? I saw that in Sally. <laughs> like, that doesn't happen. And it's so easy to dismiss, right? Because you've heard these things that sound right or even bright to just dismiss this eyewitness testimony. This is a man who lived and walked the earth, who had a job, who had friends, who had a family, who hung out with Jesus. And he's saying, when Jesus came... I saw the glory of God in him. The word became flesh and I saw him. This is not a statement that can just be dismissed out of hand, is it? This is a man who walked the earth, hung out with Jesus and says, I've seen the glory of God. Let me just tell you what happens to John. Uh, history tells us that because of this faith, because he believed so strongly that Jesus was God in human form, that he would be put into boiling water and burned alive, but he doesn't die. Instead of dying, he lives, and so they arrest him, and they send him to an island of Patmos, the island of Patmos, where he will spend the rest of his life until he dies, exiled from his friends and his family, really all that he had known. And he really embraced that lie. Who would do that? Who would be boiled for a lie? And so when John declares, I've seen his glory, I've seen his glory, it is ridiculous to go, well, I heard this one thing about how Christians aren't right, so I'm not going to explore that. And if it was just one guy who had written this down, okay, maybe John was crazy. He was going to die for that lie. Oh, but there's a whole bunch of other guys who do the same thing. Ten of Jesus' closest friends and followers when, they, when he was walking the earth, ten of them would be killed for believing the same thing and never giving up on it. And then countless others who heard their story or encountered the resurrected Christ in a different way, countless others would give their lives for that same thing, that they had seen the glory of God and that that glory, Jesus, had died on a cross and then got out of a grave. I think part of the reason it's so frustrating, it seems so stupid to me, to reject Jesus without ever investigating Jesus is because, yeah, he was the true light, but then a whole bunch of people believed that he was the true light so strongly that they gave their very lives to support and to tell others about the true light. It's so incredible that people would just neglect, reject Jesus without ever thinking about it when we have this incredible claim. 
But not only do we have this incredible claim, we have this incredible claim by a guy who hung out with Jesus and a bunch of other people who hung out with Jesus. I just think that we should be people who explore, who investigate, who look at the light that is Jesus and say, well, this is an incredible claim. Let's find out if it's real. Let's find out if it's real. And then John just ends it with this. And this is another reason that it's so fascinating to me that people reject it without exploring it. He says that this light, this Jesus came full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. Jesus came to provide things that I believe we all want. The word grace, and I have never read this or known this before and I've talked about grace a lot but I I just read this this week and and it seemed to be uh, something that I could verify to be true I got it from two sources The, the original word for grace just means that which causes joy and then it becomes this idea of goodwill or uh, grace or uh, unmerited favor as it kind of moves through the New Testament. But its very source, its very uh, original meaning of this word is that which causes joy. And that's what Jesus has done for me. And that's what Jesus did for John. And John knows that this story of Christmas and how people reject Jesus is not the end of the story, but that Jesus would die for people's sins and then he rise again. And he knows the Joy that can be brought to him, that has been brought to him. A joy that goes beyond being boiled or sent off into an island. He knows that it's a joy that goes beyond that. And he's like, this Jesus character brings joy. So it's, it's ridiculous to reject him without ever thinking about it. And, and then he brings truth, and we've already talked about that enough. And just let me say again, just because it sounds right or even bright doesn't mean it is the true light. And this is why you need to investigate, explore, dive into the life of Jesus. Now look, if you're not a Christian, let me just tell you, there's these four books written that that are placed in our Bibles, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's what they're called. And they record the important, key, uh, most valuable events of Jesus' life. They're all written down for us. And if you're not a Christian, I just say, look, like here's my claim to you, that Jesus is the true light, that all these other sources of light, they are at best just little flickers of Jesus and at worst, fake, just fake light. That's my claim to you and I'm claiming to you that because Jesus is the light of the world, he gave his life for you, he died, he rose again, he he is up in heaven now where he rules and reigns and you can become his child if you believe in what he has told us and you will believe in him as your savior and Lord. That's my claim. And I just ask, not that you just go, okay, but that you say, I'll investigate that. I'll read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I'll ask Chad that question. Hey, why do you believe that? What has Jesus done for you? How has he provided light to you? Let's have a conversation about that. Like I say every week, you can fill out a response card. I'll sit with you and say, here's why Jesus changed my life. Here's why I've actually seen his glory and encountered him. It's very real to me. And so please, if you're not a Christian, I mean, just remember that just because something sounds right or even bright, it doesn't mean it's right or light. And so explore Jesus, dive in, ask the question, should I give my life to him? Is he real? Is he right? Is he good? What makes him so different than all of the other teachers of the world that have, have had a profound impact on our societies? Why Jesus and not Bono? You know, I mean, why? Explore it. And, and it, If you're a Christian, here's just this. This is so important. We set a bad example. Because while we believe that Jesus is the light of the world, we rarely ask what that light is saying to us. We rarely, let's be honest with each other here, we rarely dive into the Gospels and say, what does that life teach me about me and about God and about how I should live my life and about how I should think and feel? We make Jesus the back burner of our lives. 
There's a light to glow out there somewhere. I believe that is the light. But I'm going to think about all this stuff. I'm going to let my life be driven by all this stuff. And if Christmas can be illuminating in any way, I think it can be illuminating because it can remind us that when Jesus was born, God was born and he was born so that you could know how to live your life and you could know what was true and you could know how you ought to interact with God and all of those things. Christmas can be a reminder that we should dive deeply into the life of Jesus because that life is the source of all things that are true. The greatest truth is the truth of Jesus' life. And so instead of, when you think about Christmas and you're a Christian, instead of going, well, Jesus' life, great, that's a light over there, but there's all these other lights, and I'm going to pick up my self-help book and my psychology books, and I'm going to believe the things my coworkers say. When I need advice, I'm going to turn to a friend, and hopefully they'll give me some psycho babble that will make me feel better for a little while. Instead of all that, when you think of Christmas, think, Jesus' life is the real source of truth. I'm going to turn to him. And we do that because we know, we know this. Just because it sounds right or is even bright or even bright doesn't mean it is the true light. Can I pray for you, please? Lord, I just want people to just investigate and dive deep into you, Lord. And you know, I've been doing that lately, uh, just in my own personal reading time. And Lord, it, it's convicting and inspiring and challenging and sometimes difficult, but good, Lord, and I read just, you, you just know, Lord, this, but I'll say it out loud for the, the people here with me, God, I, like sometimes like, man, Jesus sounds harsh and, and yet compassionate, and it's like, how do I put those together, and how do I live in a way where I'm straightforward with people, but also more compassionate than, than anybody that I know, Lord, and, and it just, it's such a profound experience to, to look at you and what you have done and what you have said and who you were and who you are. And I, I just want everybody to have that profound experience, Lord. And so I pray, Lord, that people would remember, once again, God, that just because something sounds right or even bright, it doesn't mean that it's light because you are the only true light. And even if people don't believe that, God, I pray they'd investigate it Lord, I believe, this is what I believe, and I didn't say it as I was talking to them, but I believe, Lord, that people are so quick to reject the true light without ever considering it you, Lord. It's because that's the way that the darkness wants it. That's the way that our, our flesh and the evil that exists in this world wants it, Lord. And so I pray, God, that they would turn their eyes away from the vast dungeon that this world can be, and, and they would just look at you knowing that you are not a light that will flicker out. You are not a light, God, that is dim. But you are the true light. God, let us all this Christmas season turn our eyes towards you. And Lord, I trust that you will shine bright enough as people seek, Lord, you'll shine bright enough to lead people to you. Work, Jesus, please work. I pray these things in your name, amen.